Yes, I know. Everyone is asking me where yesterday's podcast was. Where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? I send my apologies. Yesterday got a little bit uh, away from me. I didn't quite have time to do it. But today's Saturday. And you know, we normally don't do a podcast on Saturday, but I'm going to do one today to make up for the fact that we didn't do one yesterday. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please go to either the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store and search for NP Online and subscribe to the show so that you will always be informed whenever a new episode gets uploaded. Having difficulty with either of those, simply go to the App Stores and your respective online, um, mobile platforms be it Google or iPhone, and download the free Podbean app. Podbean.com is the hosting service that myself and many other podcasters use. The app is free. It won't cost you a thing, uh, and you can subscribe to the show that way. By all means, please go to our Facebook page and like it, facebook.com forward slash National Preview Online. And you can also visit our website as we will once again be publicizing articles. We've just been a little bit busy focusing all our attention on getting the podcast up and running, and we're happy to report that it is growing, uh, and it's growing actually in places outside the United States as well. So we're very pleased with that, and we're glad that you're joining us. So what do we have to report? Well, the mainstream media's play in this seems to be, and it's been readily apparent to me and others for a while, that if they continue to say President-elect Biden, President-elect Biden, President-elect Biden, there was no fraud, there was no fraud, there was no fraud, there was no fraud, if they say those phrases enough times, people are going to begin to believe it. And they say it with such uh, certitude that anyone who challenges these things is immediately uh, called a nut. But a lot of people are challenging these things. And the people who are challenging these things are not exactly fringe people. They're people who are everyday Americans, uh, who are interested in the future of their country, uh, and they would never have been called nuts prior to making these statements. We have here Jamie Swafford. She's the Michigan Republican Party ethnic vice chair. Why do I mention that? Because Jamie Swafford is African American, lest you think that it's only or less the mainstream media wishes you to think it's only dumb, ignorant, uneducated white people who vote for Trump. Jamie uh, Swafford, as I said, is a woman who's African-American, and she was at a rally. She said, I'm here today to support Donald Trump. I do believe he won Michigan, and I think he won Michigan by a landslide. This was at a rally in Michigan on the 18th. Similar grassroots protests have been taking place since the general elections in all 50 states across the nation. Swafford believes there was a lot of fraud in Michigan in this election, as evidenced by a report recently made public after a forensic examination of machines in Antrim County, Michigan, which revealed a shocking 68% error rate. I think there's a lot of fraud going on here, she said, and I hope that they take Antrim County into perspective because a lot of information was there, and I think we need to look at it. Donald Trump will be elected again. I do believe that. Everybody needs to know that this is going on, but the mainstream media is not publicizing any of it, and it needs to be publicized. Likewise, Dr. Linda Lee Tarver, former president of the Republican Women's Federation 
of Michigan, who, by the way, is also African-American, has decades of experience on the administrative side of running an election, and she has testified at length to the anomalies that occurred in Michigan during this presidential election, this according to the Epic Times, which I've just read from. She was invited to speak at a Trump caravan rally in Michigan, also on the 18th. Quote, people are concerned because we are convinced and know that Donald Trump won Michigan. He won it handily. We also have forensic evidence, which is evidence that has, from the Secretary of State's database that I talked about, the more than 500,000 people who we know, some of them were deceased, some of them voted twice, some of them were not citizens. So they've identified 500,000 people who allegedly ballots were cast on their behalf, who either were not alive, were not citizens, in which case they're not entitled to vote, or voted twice. In any case, you cannot certify those ballots, therefore you cannot certify that election if you count those ballots. And since the margin of error in Michigan is not 500,000 votes, in fact, I don't think 500,000 votes separates Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona, and Georgia combined, and Nevada. Some of them received a ballot without signing for it, she said. They're certifying an uncertifiable election. And Mr. Mark Fortin, chairman of the Macomb County Republican Party, also in Michigan, echoed what many Republicans have started to say recently after Republican judges and officials failed to bring clarity to election fraud allegations. And this is this again reported in the Epic Times. If they don't stand with our president, voters will vote them out. Quote, if our Republicans don't stand up to this stuff, we're going to get rid of them. We're going to work on it. And we're going to replace these people with normal citizens that know right from wrong. Now, this is how you scare politicians. A politician's first objective, I don't care what else you think it is, that's why I loved Trump because he wasn't a politician, but a politician's first objective is to get elected. Do you know what his second most important objective is? To get reelected. The minute you tell them that their reelection is in jeopardy, they start getting all wishy washy. And they'll suddenly do the right thing when it's put in just those terms. Now, in years past, there have been some dubious flirtations with this constitutional process that we've almost never used. The only time it was really used is, is um, when Jefferson was in his election. Um, no, it wasn't Jefferson. I'm sorry. It was John Quincy Adams uh, when he was in an election. The House of Representatives uh, actually picked um, the president. Prior to that time, people have made token efforts. In 2016, when Trump was elected, when it went to the uh, Congress in January of 2017, uh, I think Maxine Waters tried to challenge the electoral uh, votes that were cast, but it never really got any traction uh, because there wasn't, I think, a, a senator that was willing to, to do it. And the bottom line is that Hillary Clinton had conceded, so it was really just a last ditch effort. The same as the people who showed up when the electors cast their vote and threatened them and told them not to cast it for Trump. How could you do this to our country, you know, cast it for Hillary? But it was all for naught because Hillary Clinton had conceded. Now, what's different this time around is that Donald Trump has not conceded. What's different this time around is that now we have legislatures, which are Republican-controlled, in the states of Pennsylvania, the states of Georgia, 
the states of Michigan, the states of Arizona, and the state of Nevada and New Mexico who have voted a separate slate of electors. Two slates of electors have been sent to Washington or are going to be sent to Washington. The official slate, supposedly, that the governor or the secretary of state sent, and then the slate that the legislature has sent. Now, remember something. It is the legislature who is empowered to seat the electors. They can voluntarily um, abdicate that authority and grant it to an administrator, but the plenary authority, the primary authority, the constitutionally mandated and granted authority resides with the legislatures, not with the governor and not with the secretary of state of a particular state. That being the case, it carries great great weight. And if these politicians receive enough political pressure back home and they think that if they don't do the right thing, they'll be voted out, they're going to be hard-pressed not to accept the slate of electors that the legislature has sent, as opposed to the legislatures that the governor or worse yet, these unelected secretaries of state have sent. This is going to cause a very interesting showdown. Now, I'm not suggesting that every elector is going to be selected from the alternative slate. But we don't have to get many. All we've got to do is make sure that nobody gets to 270. Now, if by hook or by crook, Trump gets 270, fine. If nobody gets 270, then the House of Representatives picks the president. And we know how that goes. Every state gets one vote. Not every congressman or congresswoman in Congress. Every state gets one vote. And right now, 27 of the 50 states have their state houses, their legislatures, controlled by the Republicans. It's a reasonable expectation to believe they will vote that way. So 27 states vote Republican. 21, I believe, are um, Democrat, that's correct, and two are split down the middle. So that would give the presidency to Trump. But if somehow they accept 270 electors for Trump, that, that procedure won't need to, be, need to be reached. So this is far from over. But there is still more. You may have read, if you really know where to look for it, the fact that um, there was an analysis finally granted by a Michigan judge to audit 22 Dominion voting machines in the state of Michigan in Antrim County. And the analyst who worked for that company, Allied, said that the Dominion audit report shows that the races were flipped. The original report had log evidence that we published in the report. This is a quote from him, taken from Newsmax, an interview with Greg Kelly. The original report had log evidence that we published in the report to show exactly what we did and exactly the findings. Now, those did ultimately get redacted. Now, why were they redacted? They were redacted because the judge bought the argument, even though he granted the audit, he bought the argument that these redactions were necessary because the data that they wanted to release 
contained proprietary information that belonged to Dominion, and they didn't want comp, uh, competitors to be able to get that information. But in the process, they also redacted things that were not flattering to Dominion's position that there was no hacking involved. And so the complaint is, well, but there's no real proof. And Dominion says, no, these things can't be done, said Russell Ramsland Jr. He's the analyst uh, from Allied. But at that point, he said, Dominion's argument is no longer with us. Dominion's argument is with their own user manual and their own logs, because the logs, had they been able to be published, show very clearly that the RCV, which is an acronym for Ranked Choice Voting Algorithm, was enacted. It shows very clearly that the error messages were massive. It was very clearly that the races were flipped. Now, this is coming from a man who did the audit. He knows of what he speaks. So there's a lot of gamesmanship going on here. People are trying to hide uh, a great uh, many details and a lot of forensic data, uh, and it just doesn't fly. But there's something else, because why am I building all to this? Because I, I think what's happening here, look, I was out to dinner last night with some old friends uh, that I know, all of whom were former detectives or detective supervisors in the New York City Police Department. Now, look, you, as well as I, know that Trump voters, Trump supporters have been characterized as idiots. We've been characterized as hicks. We've been characterized as uneducated fools, um, people that aren't necessarily the sharpest knives in the drawer. Now, I don't claim to be uh, a Nobel Prize winning laureate or genius, but I'm far from uneducated or ignorant. I have a few college degrees, among them a master's in business administration. Um, I had a bachelor's in legal studies. Uh, I've read extensively, a big student of history. These gentlemen I was out with last night, as I said, they were experienced detectives in the one of the most respected police departments in the country where the detectives are considered legendary in their um, ability to solve crimes and get to the heart of things. And what makes a good detective? What makes a good detective is profound skepticism, being unwilling to accept things at face value, digging, digging, digging relentlessly, until they're satisfied that they have the truth. And these people were all overwhelmingly supporters of Donald Trump. Again, not ignorant people. These people have seen everything and done everything. It doesn't take a brick to fall on them for them to know there was fraud. And as that reality sets in with more and more people, as you get state legislatures coming to this conclusion that things were not kosher. In places like Georgia, where we see videotape footage being produced at the Atlanta Voting Center, where ballots were being pulled out from under a table after everyone was sent home except four women. And now we find out one of those women is lawyered up because the FBI wants to speak to her and she's in danger of being arrested. And I'm sure she'll bring um, forth some very interesting information when she was squeezed. In fact, 
You'll recall a show I did about a week and a half ago. I advocated very strongly that that was the next step, that these four women need to be identified, they need to be squeezed, and explain exactly why they were there and doing what they were doing. And I'm sure they would give up whoever ordered it and would just lead right back, follow the money, and you'll find out who did it. So as these legislatures become more and more convinced that things were not right, and that if they don't act, their own butts are in a sling, you're going to see a lot of this pressure work its way up to uh, Congress in January. And I think that was the main reason why the, the duplicate slate of electors, because as long as these duplicate slate of electors are out there, this thing is far from over. No one has made Joe Biden the president-elect. Now, the media is calling him president-elect. I said in the opening of the show, they're going to continue to say president-elect, president-elect, president-elect. It's a term of art. It doesn't have any legal binding status. He's really not technically president-elect. Nobody is technically, absent a concession, I think, on the part of your opponent. But technically, nobody is president-elect until those votes, those votes by the electors, are unsealed in Congress on January 6th and assented to by the Congress, over which the vice president presides, the current vice president, because the new vice president doesn't get sworn in until January 20th. And that's when you're officially president-elect. And we all know the current vice president is Mike Pence. And he's not someone to run from a fight, and I think he's going to do whatever needs to be done. But there's still more. All of this is building, 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 and it's slowly building. There's all kinds of demonstrations going on to give people the support base. You see, public opinion is very, very big here. As of two weeks ago, about six out of 10 Americans believed there was fraud in the election. You need more. You need to get it up to seven or eight out of 10, and it's slowly building. Because I also reported about mm, two or three weeks ago now, that back in September of 2018, Donald Trump drafted a very, very significant executive order. And that executive order is on the White House website, the official White House website. It is, try to see if I can get a number off the executive order. I'm on the White House website right here. Well, it doesn't, I don't think it has a number, but. It was drafted on September 12th of 2018. He didn't try and hide it. He did it in plain sight. And it starts with the regular preamble, by the authority vested in me as President of the United States. And I'll read it again to you. I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, find that the ability of persons located in whole or in substantial part outside the United States to interfere in or undermine public confidence in United States elections including through the unauthorized accessing of election and campaign infrastructure or the covert distribution of propaganda and disinformation, constitutes an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. Now, don't forget, this is in September of 2018. So bear in mind the date when I get to the rest of this. Although there has been no evidence of a foreign power altering the outcome or vote tabulation in any United States election, that's as of September of 2018, remember this, foreign powers have historically sought to exploit America's free and open political system. In recent years, 
the proliferation of digital devices and internet-based communications has created significant vulnerabilities and magnified the scope and intensity of the threat of foreign interference as illustrated in the 2017 Intelligence Community Assessment. I hereby declare a national emergency to deal with this threat. That executive order has not been rescinded. It is still in effect, and we are still operating under this state of emergency. Now, it gives him authority to do certain things. And let me explain what's happening. Now, I want you just to keep that in mind. No evidence as of September of 2018, but he anticipated something happening this year. And all of these things, the hearings conducted in front of these state houses by Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, these lawsuits being pursued by Sidney Powell, are all done to bring into the public lexicon this conversation about fraud. And eventually, it's going to drown out what is being said in the mainstream media about there being no fraud. I mean, Fox News isn't what it used to be, just as uh, Trump has said, but you still have some select hosts on there who have great sway with the public and who are still heavily watched, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and they are reporting on these things. And Fox is still uh, one of the most watched stations around, and that plus talk radio, a lot of people are getting this information. Now, it says here, accordingly, I hereby order. He can invoke this, Section 1. Not later than 45 days after the conclusion of the United States election, the Director of National Intelligence, in consultation with the heads of any other appropriate executive departments and agencies, shall conduct an assessment of any information indicating that a foreign government or any person acting as an agent of or on behalf of a foreign government has acted with the intent or purpose of interfering in this election. Now, let's stop right there. John Ratcliffe is the Director of National Intelligence, and he has stated that the report was delayed because after reviewing all the evidence, he felt that China wasn't featured prominently enough in the report. Now, it doesn't mean that because the report hasn't been issued within 45 days that the executive order is null and void. It just means they haven't fully complied with the executive order. But Trump can give him time. Now, it means it hasn't been made public, but I guarantee you Trump has seen it. Now, there's been other people in the government, part of the deep state, that have tried to dispute this. But Radcliffe has access to the most highly classified information that is held by the U.S. government because he oversees all 17 of the U.S. government intelligence agency. In other words, the CIA is under him. The NSA is under him. Uh, all of these agencies are underneath him. He sees everything. If he says that there's been uh, attacks by foreign, uh, foreign states, then that's it. The buck stops with him. Now, let's get back to the order. Continue where I just left off. The assessment shall identify, to the maximum extent ascertainable, the nature of any foreign interference, and any methods employed to execute it, the persons involved, and the foreign government or governments that authorized, directed, sponsored, or supported it. The Director of National Intelligence shall deliver this assessment and appropriate supporting information to the President, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of Defense, the Attorney General, 
and the Secretary of Homeland Security. Once again, if Trump wanted to, he could have invoked this order right after the election. But I think he realized that it wouldn't have looked good if he did that. It would have looked like he was trying to be a dictator, and he was willing to give the justice system a a chance to do the right thing. And now it's apparent that the Supreme Court, which is obligated to hear this case as being the final arbiter under the Constitution of disputes between the state, uh, the states, can't simply punt and say we're not going to hear this. And this threadbare argument that um, the state of Texas doesn't have standing is ridiculous. Merely by being a state in this union of 50 great states, you automatically have standing to go before the Supreme Court and sue another state if you can say you've been harmed. And I can tell you right now, if I'm voting in a, in a state where the elections are conducted on the up and up and somebody else is voting in another state where the elections are fraudulent and that fraudulent vote affects the ultimate outcome of the election and dilutes my vote, I've been harmed. And you can say anything you want. You don't have to be a Harvard Law professor to figure that out. That's the way it is. So. Within 45 days of receiving this assessment, so he has 45 days from the day they give it to him, and information described in Section 1, the Attorney General and the Secretary of Homeland Security in consultation with the heads of any other appropriate agencies and as appropriate state and local officials shall deliver to the President, the Secretary of State, Treasury, Defense, a report evaluating with respect to United States election that is the subject of the assessment described. The extent to which any foreign interference that targeted election infrastructure materially affected the security or integrity of that infrastructure, the tabulation of votes, or the timely transmission of the election, if any foreign uh, interference involved activities targeting the infrastructure, so forth and so on. He has under this authority, I can go on all these things that have to be identified, but the bottom line is it gives him great power, all property and interest in property that are in the United States, that hereafter come within the United States, or that are or hereafter come within the possession or control of any United States person, of the following persons are blocked and may not be transferred, paid, exported, withdrawn. Basically, I'll put it all down in one little phrase. This order gives the president under this national state of emergency, if evidence is shown that there is fraud and he knows who's responsible, he can seize everything. He can seize every voting machine in this country. And that's why all these actions, because as long as these actions are pending, ladies and gentlemen, then this lapse in time doesn't have the negative impact it otherwise would have. Because by now, these people would have wiped clean these machines. They're prevented from doing it. Anybody who wipes these things clean without getting clearance from a court, as long as these things are ongoing in litigation, is automatically guilty of obstruction and could be prosecuted and sent to the pokey. Nobody wants to do that. They may like Joe Biden all they want, but they're not going to go to prison for him. Only the Clintons had people that were willing to go to prison for them. And even they, when they went to prison, suddenly died in prison because they didn't want to stay in prison. And they were going to talk. But before they could talk, they were dead. And as we all know, dead men tell no tales. So there's a lot going on here that you're not being told, and you're not going to be told it in many other places. So it's my job to bring it to you here. And there's a few other little things. Something that may surprise you. 
information that came into my uh, possession. Let me just see if I can... I want to quote it here if I can, because I don't want to quote it inaccurately. It only came to my possession this morning. Let's just see if we can find it. Well, I think I can quote it from memory. I just can't find it right now. I get this stuff sent to me on... People text it to me. People message me. Lynn Wood, you know who he is, the famous attorney, who's also working with Sidney Powell on these things. Lynn Wood has for a long time been looking at the manifest of Jeffrey Epstein's plane, the late Jeffrey Epstein, pedophile, friend of Bill Clinton, uh, and to see who's been on that plane and who's been flying back and forth to his little uh, pedophile island hideaway that he had for himself. And, you know, some names are pretty common, like John Smith, Joe Smith. You know, these are common names. So the fact that John Smith is on the manifest doesn't mean it's the John Smith that lives next door to you. Well, one such common name that was on the manifest that shows that this person went with Epstein to his um, little Lolita Island, where they would have relations with underage girls, was a name John Roberts. Now, that name also happens to be the name of the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. So, Linwood went through great lengths to try and verify this, and he has now come forward, and I don't think an attorney of that prominence would make an allegation which would clearly be libelous, libelous and slanderous, unless he was absolutely sure. He is now willing to state, and has stated, that the John Roberts on that passenger manifest is the same John Roberts who currently sits on the United States Supreme Court. And that, my friends, would explain an awful lot in terms of the decisions and the reasoning and things that John Roberts has done over the years that have shocked most of us to our core who are conservative. If he is indeed the John Roberts that was on that plane with Epstein and he was engaged in those sort of reprehensible acts with underage girls, he is a swine and he needs to resign from the court forthwith. Now, he could be forcibly removed. There's a lifetime appointment, but there is a process for removing Supreme Court judges and any other federal judge, because all federal judges serve with a lifetime appointment. There's impeachment, and judges are occasionally impeached. In fact, the same year that Bill Clinton was impeached, and they tried to say that it wasn't a crime because he was lying about a personal matter, there were three judges that were impeached for the same thing, and they were removed from the federal bench. It doesn't get a lot of publicity, but it does happen, and it's done in the Senate. So this is just another little interesting tidbit. So I hope that satisfies most of you. Uh, I give my apologies once again for not doing the podcast yesterday, but I, I think I made up for it today by giving you current information. We're going to stay with this. We're not going to shrink away from this. We're going to continue to cover this, and we're going to continue to give you uh, accurate information as soon as we can get it and verify it. And once again, in keeping with our overall mission, as 73 million strong with great economic power uh, that we can use to try and leverage people and pressure people, you should do what a number, number of Americans have been doing, what I myself have done. When I identify any of these businesses or institutions that I patronize and I discover that they support things I don't support or they've gone off the rails and off the reservation, I cease doing business with them. I no longer watch Fox News anymore. I may occasionally watch one or two shows. I do love Maria Bartiromo, but by and large, I don't watch Fox News anymore. I either listen to 
One America News or Newsmax or Talk Radio. I don't support Netflix. When I found out they gave money to the Obamas, I disagree with the Obamas. The Obamas are at the heart of this conspiracy. I don't patronize Netflix anymore. I was a big, longtime subscriber and supporter of the Wall Street Journal. I have since canceled my subscription and now subscribe to the Epic Times. It's these type of steps, the willingness to sacrifice certain things, is what's going to make the difference. Don't settle for short-term solutions that create long-term problems. It's one of the best advice, pieces of advice I was ever given when I became a father. I had a good friend of mine said, I'll give you one universal piece of advice. Don't opt for short-term solutions that create long-term problems. You continue to support these institutions that are undermining our democracy and undermining our president, you're going to have a long-term problem. So cut them loose. Let them wither and die on the vine. That's Douglas MacArthur's words. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.